Welcome to Bench Talk, the week in science. My name is Dave Robinson. And I'm Ashley Best. You're listening to WFMP Louisville, 106.5 FM. This show's about bringing science to the people. We'll be bringing you weekly updates on new research that is important to all of us and celebrating evidence-based policy. We've scoured the library stacks for interesting articles, climbed the hill to stay informed on science policy, and performed some experiments of our own. We're here as a conduit of all things science, so... Let's get started. Well, we've got a great show for you this week. It's the beginning of the month, so Professor J. Scott Miller of Maysville Community and Technical College is going to fill us in on what we can see in the night sky during December of 2019, what constellations, asterisms, planets, and meteor showers are we likely to see, And then following that, we've got a recording of a recent lecture given by a renowned expert on marijuana use. She'll tell us about what's been learned about marijuana usage in this country and about the challenges that marijuana researchers face. But first, Professor Scott Miller on the night sky this month. Scott here. The skies of winter provide both beauty and challenge. I get to start earlier in the evening, about six or so, and there are quite a few bright stars that can be seen. I am getting out while dusk still remains in the skies in hopes of finding planets, but it's cold outside, so I put a coat on and think layers. Because it is dusk, I can use my knowledge of the sunset position at my house. I now swing my glance toward the general direction west, turning left if I start facing north. Just above the southwestern horizon are a couple of bright points. Venus and Saturn are trying to keep it interesting in the night sky in terms of seeing planets. Jupiter is close enough to the horizon that it may not be glimpsed. In terms of planets, Saturn and Jupiter are leaving the evening sky. I have mentioned them in several programs over the summer and fall because they were so well placed and easily spotted. But as the Earth continues to swing around the Sun, the Earth has positioned itself so that the Sun is almost along the line from us to those two planets. These two will make themselves visible in morning skies later in 2020. Venus, on the other hand, will begin the process of dominating the western sky after sunset. Venus is moving out from behind the Sun, where it has been for a bit, and with each passing day increases its separation from the Sun. From our perspective, by the end of December, it will not only have accomplished that increased separation, but will move away from the ever-disappearing Saturn and Jupiter as well. The Moon will sail past Venus toward the end of the month as well, during the interval between December 27th through December 29th, and this pairing is always pretty to see in the evening sky. By 6.30 in the evening, the sky is dark enough to start the hunt for constellations. In the western sky is the asterism known as the Summer Triangle. Unlike constellations, official divisions of the nighttime sky, asterisms are simply shapes of stars, usually brighter ones, that catch our eyes. They can be simple items like triangles or even letters of the alphabet, or perhaps even everyday items such as the big and little dippers that make up parts of the constellations, Ursa Major and Ursa Minor, the big and little bears, respectively. In the case of the Summer Triangle, we see three bright stars making what is nearly an isosceles triangle. Vega is the brightest, making a northwestern base star for the triangle. Deneb, a bit dimmer but still quite bright, marks the northeastern base corner. The southernmost of these three is Altair, 
marking the tip of the triangle where the two longer legs join from the base. Figa is in a small constellation called Lyra the Harp, a small rectangular shaped pattern of stars with Vega just outside the rectangle. Perhaps one can picture it as a jewel embedded in a stringed handheld harp. Deneb marks the tail of Cygnus the Swan, the body of which is a line of three more stars marking the body, long neck, and head of the swan. This line of stars extends toward the western horizon at this time of the year and ends near the line between Vega and Altair. Altair marks the head of Aquila the Eagle, with a line of stars on each of its sides stretching north and south to mark the outstretched wings, while a short body stretches back two stars off toward the southwestern horizon. If I keep looking higher up and nearly overhead, a pattern of four stars, all of about the same brightness, catches my eye. This is the great square of Pegasus, and marks the body of that flying horse. From the southwestern star and extending toward the southwest is a check mark of stars that mark the neck and head of Pegasus. From the northwestern star of the square are a pair of lines of stars marking the front legs. And from the northeastern star of the square is another pair of lines of stars marking its back legs. Or does it? That pair of lines of stars is actually the constellation of Andromeda. She is a princess chained in sacrifice to a sea monster as punishment for her mother's bragging, specifically about her mother's beauty. Now for a real test of how dark one's skies truly are. If you can find the great square of Pegasus and identify the Andromeda sweeping to the northeast from its northeastern corner star, try the following. Start with that northeastern corner star of the great square. Then travel out along the next two stars of Andromeda. Each of these three are about the same brightness. From the second star of Andromeda, imagine you are putting a crossbar on the letter A. The dimmer set of stars making up Andromeda do open up as a narrow V-shaped pattern, easily made into an A with a crossbar. Now let your eye wander along the crossbar from bright star to dim star. Continue that line to a point beyond the dim star about the same length as this crossbar. You may see a fuzzy patch of light there. If you do, you're looking at the Andromeda galaxy, the closest big galaxy to our own Milky Way. At a distance of about 2.5 million light years, it marks the farthest object one can see with the naked eye. And, as time and distance are interchangeable when we measure distances in light years, that means one is seeing the galaxy the way it looked 2.5 million years ago. Anthropologists and other scientists list that as roughly the time the first human species can be identified. While that light that enters one's eyes has traveled, we have made great progress to where we are today. Returning to the mythology related to Andromeda, we can find her mother and father just north of Andromeda watching the spectacle. Her mother, Cassiopeia, is a W-shaped pattern of stars easily seen in the northern sky at this time of the year. Her father, Cepheus, is made of fainter stars in the shape of a steep-roofed house in the part of the sky between Polaris and Cassiopeia. Makes one wonder if he is made of dimmer stars because he lacked the power to control his wife's bragging. But I digress. The sea monster and the hero of the story are also found nearby, but they are made of collections of stars that don't form simple patterns. A star map is a better option for locating them. This brings us to the eastern sky, 
where a bright and familiar pattern of stars can be seen rising. By 8 p.m., one might just glimpse the three stars that form the straight line, marking the belt of Orion the Hunter. Orion is a popular figure because of the 88 constellations that break up the sky. It is one of the few that actually looks like its namesake, made of bright stars that mark the shoulders, waist, and knees of this celestial hunter. Later in the evening, and later this winter and on into spring, Orion will be better placed in our skies. One last astronomical event to watch for in December skies is the Geminid meteor shower. This shower is to winter what the Perseid meteor shower is to summer, a meteor shower that can be depended on for seeing shooting stars. Though this shower can produce close to 100 meteors an hour from a dark site, no city lights, near its peak in the morning hours of December 14th, the moon will interfere a bit. It will be a couple of days past full moon and not set until just before dawn. So this year, seeing the meteors from this shower is going to be a major challenge. Meteor showers take patience. Seeing them is not automatic. You need to plan on being out an hour or so, not looking at any one point in the sky, but allowing your eyes to slowly scan the skies. Hot cocoa or coffee might be the preferred drink. Stopping one's feet can help keep feet warm. And once again, layers of clothing are likely more a requirement than a suggestion. It's that time of year again. There's that music. Hearkening to us that the Kentucky Academy of Science recently had their annual conference. It was the 2019th conference, the 105th annual conference of the Kentucky Academy of Science. And it was held on November 1st and 2nd on the beautiful campus of Berea College this year. Last year, the meeting was held at Western Kentucky University in Bowling Green, and if you want to hear about that conference, go back to our November 12, 2018 podcast on our website, forwardradio.org slash benchtalk. Now, I'll summarize the KAS conference for you at a later date, but right now we wanted to devote this particular episode and next week's to letting you hear the keynote speaker from this conference. This year, it was Dr. Latrice Montgomery, assistant professor and licensed clinical psychologist in the Department of Psychiatry and Behavioral Neuroscience at the University of Cincinnati College of Medicine. The title of Dr. Montgomery's talk was The Interdisciplinary World of Addiction Science Featuring Marijuana and Tobacco. Now it's Dr. Matthew Saderholm that you'll hear first. He's dean of faculty at Berea College and he happens to be a biochemistry professor too. He starts off by introducing the speaker, and then in the first part of her talk, she speaks to her experiences as a student, a graduate assistant, an intern, teacher, and researcher. And then she addresses the challenges and complexities of working on a topic as controversial as marijuana. But anyway, let's get right to her, Dr. Latrice Montgomery. Good morning. As a chemistry professor here at Berea for the past 20 years, I've been a regular attendee of these meetings, and 
my research students and I have seen many amazing plenary talks. Now as Dean of Faculty, I'm delighted to introduce our uh, 2019 plenary speaker, Latrice Montgomery. Professor Montgomery is an assistant professor at the Department of Psychiatry and Behavioral Neuroscience at the University of Cincinnati uh, College of Medicine. Before she earned her PhD and master's degree in clinical psychology at UC, she also completed a clinical internship at Yale University Division of Substance Abuse. Before that, Latrice graduated right here from Bury College with a degree in psychology. When I asked her former professors about Professor Montgomery, they shared two things. First, that she was an amazing student, and they were not at all surprised by her success. Uh, secondly, they shared that it took a little bit of encouragement from them for her to think bigger uh, than her initial goal of just becoming a clinical psychologist. I mention this to encourage any students in the audience to think bigger than you are thinking now. Find a mentor if you don't have one, and think ambitiously about what your next steps will be. For Professor Montgomery, it took her to UC where she studied addiction before joining the faculty in 2012. She's received many awards and major grants in her short time there, where her research focuses on understanding marijuana and tobacco use and co-use, health disparities in addiction, and the use of social media in preventing and treating addiction. Her most recent National Institutes of Health-funded study is designed to develop and test pilot a Twitter-based intervention for young adults who are heavy marijuana smokers. Please join me in welcoming Latrice Montgomery as she guides us into the interdisciplinary world of addiction science featuring tobacco and marijuana. Wow, I'm excited to be here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm honored to be the keynote speaker for the Kentucky Academy of Science. And just coming back to Berea and driving in, it was bringing back so many memories and even walking into this auditorium. And I was telling my parents, I remember in 2003 when they dropped me off, move-in day. And I was so excited, but also so nervous because I didn't know what the future held for me. And I remember we were in this room and the students sat in the front and then the parents were in the back. And all of a sudden, the person that was standing up here, they're like, okay, parents, you can leave. And I'm like, uh, real? Like, and so I turned around and I looked at my parents and I'm like, so y'all are like really leaving me here? Like, this is a thing. And so, of course, I knew that they would have to leave, but it just, I mean, it, it hit me so hard in that moment. I'm like, wow, and I actually cried. I sat right here in the chapel and was crying because I'm like, I've never been without my parents. So uh, I was just so nervous, but I'm so glad that they left me here and they left me in good hands and the rest is history. So, and here are my parents sit with me again in support. So I just want to say thank you. And I'm just so glad to be back here at Berea. So thank you so much for having me. And another thing that's kind of surreal for me is that I remember coming into some of the talks in here and I would be like, how can anybody stand up in front of so many people and give talks and do it with so much confidence? And I just used to think like, I could never do that. Here I am. So it's like, you know, it's funny how life works sometimes. But I'm so glad to be here. So thank you for having me. Before I kind of get into addiction and what my talk is about, I just kind of want to walk you through a journey. And thank you so much for the introduction. So when I think of my research career, I really think back to high school because I've always been very interested in human behavior. Why do people do the things that they do? What excites people? What makes people mad? What makes people happy? And so that really excited me. So I went to high school at Wanda Hills High School in Cincinnati, graduated there in 2003. So go Eagles. And after I left high school, I wasn't really sure exactly where I was going to go. And actually, I had never even heard of Berea. 
and I actually went to a college uh, fair where they had a table booth was set up, and there were some admission counselors that were there, and they told me about Berea. And so I came and visited and really liked it, enjoyed it, and luckily was um, invited to be a student here. So I'm very excited. And as you know, as I mentioned in the remarks, uh, my professors were great because they really did challenge me because when I was about to graduate from Berea College, one of the things I wondered about was I knew I wanted to teach, I knew I wanted to do research, and I knew at some point that would mean I would have to get a PhD. But of course, after undergrad, I thought, well, can I really do that? Do I have the confidence to, PhD just seemed like such a big thing to me. And so I thought, well, maybe I should go get a master's first and then my PhD, what should I do? And so I decided to apply for a ton of master's programs and don't tell anybody, but I can't even tell you like what the programs were. It was a bunch of psychology programs. I just applied and I said, I'm going to apply to this one PhD program and the rest masters and see what happens. And so luckily, one the one PhD program that I applied for at UC, I was selected into, and I'm so glad that I was. And that took me to my journey to UC. So while I was in studying clinical psychology, I was in a lot of practical placements where I was seeing individuals who um, suffered from addiction. And so um, during those placements, I would work in community mental health settings, working with individuals who were mentally ill, etc. And in working with a lot of young people, one of the things that I noticed is that there were some health disparities, and so that some of the treatments that we had just weren't working as effectively for all groups. And so that really got my mind wondering and turning about what contribution can I make in this area. So it got me thinking. And then throughout that process, I continued to do placements in practicum settings where I could work with individuals who were suffering from different levels of addiction with different drugs. Then I applied for my clinical internship because it's part of the clinical psychology program. You have to do a year-long internship. And that's when I applied for and was selected to go to Yale University in the Division of Substance Abuse. And while I was there, I also did a lot of research and work around marijuana and tobacco because those were the areas where I really found there were some disparities and I really wanted to think about how can I contribute to that area. And so after I left Yale, I came back to, went back to UC and became a faculty member there in the College of Education. And I taught for a few years, did some research. And then as of 2016, I moved to the Department of Psychiatry. And now I'm doing all research. So everything, 100% research, marijuana and tobacco, which is what I'm going to tell you some about today. So I tell you that story because it's been an exciting journey. It's been an exciting career. And I know the folks are in here, you're probably thinking, what's next for me? What am I going to do? So I just hope that there is some encouragement and that, you know, there is light at the end of the tunnel and it's, you know, it can be a long journey, but it's, it's a really exciting time, especially when you identify areas that you're really excited about. So on to the fun stuff. What is addiction? And this is really where I spend most of my time thinking about this issue. And so the National Institute on Drug Abuse, who, um, again, is kind of an authority on this area and has funded part of my work. They define addiction as a chronic relapsing disorder characterized by compulsive drug seeking and use despite adverse consequences. So as you can see there, when we think about the consequences of addiction, whether it be related to legal issues, social issues, health issues, you could probably all think of the opiate epidemic, you probably have heard things about Juul in the news, so many different headlines. And so when we think about this world of addiction, that's why I was very excited about this talk because it's very interdisciplinary because it's very difficult to address something like addiction without involving many different brains in this process. And, it, and so it's important to look at this from several different angles. 
So here I just kind of have a picture of a way in which addiction can affect the brain. And so we're talking about addiction to all types of drugs, marijuana, cocaine, methamphetamine, ecstasy, you name it. And so you'll see that it can affect different parts of the brain, such as the movement and sensations. And so when people are intoxicated and using drugs, there might be impairment in the way that they move or their ability to move, their ability to feel things, to smell things, to see the judgment, the ability to make sound decisions, uh, reward, memory, coordination. There's impairment in these areas. So again, thinking with impairment in these particular areas, no matter what field we're in, is somehow going to impact people's lives. And even if we are personally suffering from addiction, chances are we probably know someone that is, and it's been impacted by this. And this is just kind of another uh, image of what I was just speaking about, and kind of thinking about the framework of addiction. And so when we think, one, the executive function. So that's kind of what I was talking about before, about memory and the reward system, and those areas were really being impacted by addiction. And so what happens when a person uses drugs? So why do people get hooked in the first place? These are questions that often come up. Why are people, so initially people may begin using drugs voluntarily, but they continue to use. Why is that the case? What is it they're seeking? And what are, what are kind of those pleasure points of addiction? And then of course, negative emotionality. So people are using to either, you know, to deal with anxiety or stress or to feel better or to improve performance, for example. And around those, you kind of see these different areas. And again, when we think about interdisciplinary, all of these pieces, probably in all of our fields, somehow think about how we might be able to make an impact in some of these areas. So we see that there are problems associated with law, with home, whether it be with family, with friends, with work, losing out on losing work or not attending work, or instead of substances. So the type of substances that people use, the patterns in which they use, the many different drugs, there's different interactions. So what I'm hoping to do today is kind of break down the specifics of what I'm saying, specifically talking about it as it relates to marijuana and tobacco. And this is just another uh, kind of figure from the National Institute on Drug Abuse that kind of highlights these points that I was just making. It really talks about the specifics of, of the drug of choice. So right now, as I mentioned, we hear, we're hearing a lot about the opiate epidemic, and that's really big. We're hearing a lot about Juul, and there's a lot of different perspectives to consider on that. And it's important that we look at these different drugs because these drugs impact the, the kind of the figure that I showed before. They impact our brains differently. And so within the field of addiction, the research that's happening is really drug-specific. That's kind of the overview of addiction and what it is and how there's some kind of common tenets that cross all drugs that I just mentioned. But the area that I specifically focus on is marijuana. So marijuana is a hot topic. How many people in the room are familiar with, you've probably heard of marijuana or hear about issues related to marijuana. Like, cause it's kind of hard not to, you know, look for that to be a hot topic because no matter where you are, people either have very strong opinions about it. So I've given talks, plenty of talks on marijuana and I've been in rooms where people are completely against it in rooms where people are completely for it and sometimes they're right in the middle. So like, you know, I've, I've had hecklers, all kinds of stuff. So this really gets, like, people get really emotional about this topic. But I enjoy it. It's fun. So I want to kind of give an overview of this marijuana world because it's very complex. As you can see here, there are several different ways in which you can consume marijuana. And so that makes it very difficult to study when we think about research because you'll look, you'll notice there's a brownie there. So there's edibles. So marijuana can be consumed through brownies, through tea, through any kind of food, basically. It can be um, entered into the food and consumed in that way. 
You'll also notice that there's oils and capsules that people can use. There's tinctures in which people can put drops under their tongue. There's also the traditional joint, and that's probably most likely what you hear of when you think of marijuana as people consuming it through a joint. And that's pictured here with this white translucent paper. The paper is typically made of like hemp or rice, and then um, marijuana is rolled into it and smoked. At the top, there is a picture of a blunt, and that's the area that I focus a lot of my research on, and that paper is made out of nicotine, and marijuana is put into that. So uh, what happens is people oftentimes go to the store and they'll buy like little cigars, tobacco products, remove the tobacco, and replace it with marijuana. And so as you might imagine, there's exposure to both nicotine and marijuana in that case. There's also dabbing. that um, People can dab marijuana. You can heat it up and heat extracts. So the point is that people believe that you can extract powerful components like THC, which is a psychoactive component in marijuana, you can extract that out and not necessarily be exposed to some of the negative toxins. So they believe that's a kind of safer form of consuming marijuana. Now picture here, you can also consume marijuana um, in a suppository method in which it's entered into the rectum and you're told to squeeze your sphincter muscles together and it can actually intoxicate you in that way. So as you might imagine, because marijuana is consumed in all of these different ways, they affect the body very differently. And so one of the things that I focus on in my research is making sure that we pay attention to this diversity in methods. Most of the marijuana research that we have now has been on what you see here in this white translucent paper, and that's through joints, because that's kind of been traditionally how people have consumed marijuana. But as legalization increases across our country, and as people are kind of getting more savvy with marijuana methods, there's, these don't even represent all of the ways in which marijuana can be consumed, um, which can kind of be scary in a sense. And so that's why I think one of the things that I'm advocating for is to make sure that our research covers all aspects of these different types of products. Well, that was Dr. Latrice Montgomery, assistant professor and clinical psychologist in the Department of Psychiatry and Behavioral Neuroscience at the University of Cincinnati College of Medicine. And she was telling us about her research on marijuana. We'll continue her lecture on this topic on this show next week, where she focuses on the link between marijuana use and tobacco use, and a little bit on how race and age plays a role. Thanks to Scott Holmes for his song, Positive and Fun. It's available on freemusicarchive.org. Well, that's the show this week. Thank you for listening to Bench Talk, The Week in Science. We think the world is a fascinating place, and science is a good way to explore it. Science truly empowers all of us. If you want to learn more about the show, go to our Facebook page, just search for Bench Talk, two words on Facebook. You can also email us at benchtalkradio at gmail.com. That's one word, benchtalkradio at gmail.com. Now, all of our episodes are podcasted on SoundCloud, so just visit the station's website at www.forwardradio.org. 
and scroll down to the program archives. That's www.forwardradio.org to listen to any of our old episodes. If you live outside of the Louisville broadcast area, you can still listen to us on live stream at that same website, www.forwardradio.org. This show is broadcast on WFMP LP 106.5 FM every Monday at 7.30 p.m., that's Eastern Time, 11.30 a.m. every Tuesday, and 7.30 a.m. every Wednesday. Thank you for listening to WFMPLP 106.5 FM, your grassroots, volunteer-run, listener-supported community radio station in Louisville, Kentucky, where there is still a little room for evidence-based rational analysis. Thank you.